Welcome to the Holy Donors Podcast. Join Andrew, Matt, Ren, and me, Thaddeus, as every week we bring you inspiring stories of radical generosity that have changed the world. So, Andrew, you ready to get started? Can't wait. So, in episode three, we heard about Catherine Drexel starting a religious order, training for a religious community, giving all of her money away, battling the KKK, battling typhoid, battling tornadoes to found these schools for Native Americans and African Americans. I mean, this must have been a pretty serious call that she had to go to these links and overcome these challenges. But I'm glad that she did because the mark that she's left so far on the world is pretty amazing. Yeah, so you just went over what she's dealing with right now. And I think this is a point to maybe recognize that even though she is going through all this stuff, she still is doing amazing work. And I think she's doing it with joy and happiness in her heart. I mean, she's doing what she loves, even though she's going through all this stuff. I think every stumbling block that comes in her path is just another thing that she looks as a challenge, a happy challenge, a challenge to overcome. And she overcomes every single one of them. And but, you, know what, you know what I think is interesting before you go, but yeah, yeah, is it didn't really seem like that was where she found joy before in life, right? Like before she entered religious life, she had everything she could ask for and she was depressed and still really struggled with yeah. melancholy, with purpose. Now she's kind of given up everything, walked away and constant battles. And yet we see from her writings, we read in her in her own words how much joy she finds in the work that she's doing now, right? Yeah, absolutely. But as we said, there's a but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. She starts having health issues. And in 1935, she's considered that maybe she had multiple heart attacks and she returned to the mother house, but she was so sick that she couldn't continue her role as mother of the house. She couldn't be the mother anymore. So she gave it up. And her successor took over, and ironically, after she took over, she passed away within a year. Mm. And so Mother Catherine took over again until they found the replacement, and then the replacement came through. But during the end of the, after 1935, for the almost the remainder of her life, she was really bedridden. Mm. She was diagnosed with breast cancer at another time in 1943. At that point in time, she lived the rest of her life in pain, which is also kind of ironic because if you remember... Her stepmother died from breast cancer. Mm, yeah. So how much longer does Catherine endure these health issues and this pain? A long time. Mm. She lived to be 97 years old. She wow. passed away March 3rd of 1955. Uh, she was the last of her sisters to survive. Her younger sister passed away uh, in 1943, and she was buried at the mother house. But eventually her body was, was exhumed and moved to the cathedral Basilica of Saints Peter and Paul in Philadelphia. Okay, so I know Catherine Drexel as Saint Catherine Drexel, right? Saint Mother Catherine Drexel. Tell us about how she became a saint. Yeah, this is kind of amazing. Before we go down that road, let's look at what it takes to become a saint. Yep. Uh, I'll try to simplify it and make it understandable, but really you've, you've got to be dead for five years. Okay. So they won't even listen to your cause for anything until you're, you've been dead for five years. And once that point happens, then somebody from your archdiocese or diocese has to kind of take up that order and say, they lived a holy life. They could be a saint. We want them to be explored. Mm -hmm. And so they put it together a case. They send it to Rome. 
And then Rome comes in and they go through that person's entire life, if it's a compelling story, and decide whether or not they lived a holy life or not. Mm. Okay. Once they say, yeah, they lived a holy life, it's approved, it's confirmed, then they're venerable. So she became venerable Catherine Drexel in 1987. Okay. Okay. So now she's venerable. Next step is blessed. So after you're declared venerable, it's very important to remember after you're declared venerable, you have to have a miracle that is with no other explanation is a miracle and it has to be uh, attributed to you. Mm. Okay. Or if you were martyred, that could also be a step, but she was not. So she had to have a miracle. So after venerable, she had a miracle by a young man who was in ninth grade, Robert Gutherman, got sick, got an infection in, in his ear, and the infection basically ate through his eardrum, and he was deaf, could not hear. And his family took on a cause to pray to venerable Catherine Drexel for his healing, and he was healed. There's no explanation. He mm. should not be. The infection ate through parts that would not regrow, mm. but yet he was able to hear. And even when they looked into it, they said, you should not be able to hear, but he was able to hear. One miracle is enough? One miracle. Now he's blessed. Okay. So it's approved. The devil's advocate comes in and says, there's no other explanation to what happened. This is a miracle. Mm. And it's because of the intercession of Catherine Drexel that you were healed. Mm -hmm. Okay. So after the point of being declared blessed, which she was declared blessed on November 20th, 1988. Okay. You've got to have another miracle attributed to you become a saint. And she did. And a young lady by the name of Amy Wall, when she was born, she was born deaf. She was born with parts of her ear missing, and she could barely hear even people shouting around her. And the sisters of the Blessed Sacrament, at this point, Blessed Catherine Drexel's order took up the cause and, and prayed for this young girl to be able to hear. Yeah. And she was. The miracle came and she was able to hear. Wow. Hey, guys. This is Ren. I'm sitting in for Thaddeus again today. Welcome, Ren. Thank you. Oh, yeah. We forgot to say Thaddeus isn't going to be here again today. <laughs> so, But, Ren, we're glad you're here. Speaking of medical miracles for sainthood, just an interesting fact that I picked up from somebody who's working in my own diocese on getting a local person canonized. She was telling us that we have some approved miracles for this person. But what they do is they usually wait a number of years to make sure a healing doesn't kind of revert, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So I don't know if, if there's like a written part of the procedure for this, but that's kind of the habit. Mm -hmm. You know the verse from chapter 14 of the Gospel of Luke that says, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? If your organization is contemplating a capital campaign to raise money for any type of project, it is essential that you carry out a feasibility study by a neutral third party first. A feasibility study determines the level of interest your donors have in the project, the potential level at which they might provide financial support, and who might serve as volunteer leaders of the effort. The feasibility study process will also help to excite your prospects about the potential of a campaign. If your organization needs to carry out a feasibility study, Petrus can help. To learn more about what's involved, check out petrusdevelopment.com study. petrusdevelopment.com study. So Amy Wall is miraculously healed. 
uh, goes through the devil's advocate, which I'm told that maybe they don't use that anymore, but it's a historical term, but we all kind of know there's somebody who plays that role in Rome. And so miracle happens that's attributed to her. It's approved in 2000. Pope John Paul II, now Saint Pope John Paul II, declares Catherine Drexel a saint of the Roman Catholic Church. Huzzah! Oh, thank you. (laughs) We've also got a clip from Cordelia, who is Catherine Drexel's great-grandniece, talking about she was at her canonization when it was announced. And so let's listen to that. I was at her canonization, and it was pouring, pouring, pouring rain. I mean, we were deluged. My shoes were ruined because they were sitting in probably three inches of water puddling in, in St. Peter's Square. And when her name was read out, the sky suddenly miraculously cleared and a double rainbow shot across the sky. And I said, oh, oh my goodness, I think this is a holy person. Talk about a sign from heaven. Other interesting things about Catherine Drexel, her feast day is March 3rd, and she's a patron saint of racial justice and philanthropists. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us about some of the schools she founded. First of all, how many schools did she found uh, or did her order found and where are they now? That's a great question. There's numbers out there of how many schools she's opened. However, they all disagree. We couldn't find any documentation that agreed on the total number of schools that she opened. We're talking like 30. We're talking like more than 100. We're talking more than 100. Wow. The biggest being Xavier University. Of all of those, you know, and Cordelia actually says that in her opinion, that was the greatest legacy that Catherine Drexel left behind was Xavier University. One of the things that we, in doing our research, there's a Drexel University that might be familiar to some of our listeners. In Philadelphia, right? Yeah, in Philadelphia. Yep. That has nothing really to do with Catherine Drexel. It was her uncle Tony who started that university. It wasn't, mm-hmm. wasn't hers. So, but we're looking at hundreds of schools. Yeah. You know, many of them have closed down, but I think that the true measure of her legacy goes beyond just the number of schools she opened. Yeah. Got to look at the number of people that she affected. Yeah, for sure. Which is in the thousands directly. Millions, I mean. And millions, you know, when you go even further, because here you have this generation of people who was able to get an education and better themselves to be able to live in society Mm -hmm. and not to be forgotten. Mm -hmm. Then you have their kids Mm -hmm. and then you have their kids and then you have their kids. Right. You know, we're, we're talking multiple generations now. And it's just awesome to think about the impact that she had on the U.S., mm-hmm. specifically at that time. And it's it's almost scary to think what we would be living in right now if she didn't do what she did. Yeah, I think that's right. But what about some of the maybe less tangible pieces of her legacy? Yeah, so we know that Catherine obviously put a lot of her money into the schools and stuff. But we also know that there are at least some examples of her giving directly to others in need. We just don't know what those are. We've got a secondhand story that Cordelia heard from a priest who heard from a a cardinal. Let's listen to that story and kind of hear one person who is impacted by Catherine's giving. She gave money in different ways. She provided money for music lessons for a young man in New York. Apparently there was a festival to celebrate one of Catherine's 
schools in New York. And this young man now was an older man and he was in a wheelchair and he went up to them and said, I would like to meet you. And he was kind of given the cold shoulder. And finally, this small black man in a wheelchair said, I I don't think you, you know me, but I'd like to introduce myself because Catherine Drexel saved my life. She provided money out of her own pocketbook for my music lessons. And that man was Lionel Hampton. So she gave money to other causes, but she was so private and so humble. He knew that she had given him money for his lessons. It didn't come from the school. It came from her. And I don't know how many other stories there are out there like that. So see if you can keep your feet still while you listen to the king of the vibraharp, the master of the drums with his all-time big record of flying home. It's Lionel Hampton. Lionel <laughs> Man, I didn't know who Lionel Hampton was, but I could get down on that music. That's pretty great. Pretty cool. But I mean, how much is that like Emma, right? Her stepmother, that people were coming into the house. They needed help with rent. They needed help with food. They needed help with shoes or socks because they didn't want cold feet. Neither did she want them to have them. But I presume that there were people that came in and said, I need some training for my job or I need, you know, some help with education or school. And Emma helped them, right? And so Catherine saw that as a young child and still practice that long into her life. You know, I've been in development for quite some time, and seeing donors and their generous hearts has been a truly humbling experience. And I feel that Emma's impact on Catherine Drexel is is unmistakable, that she's truly in love with humans, uh, of people. You know, she's living out the gospel, love thy neighbor as thyself the second greatest commandment. But without Emma, I worry that Catherine wouldn't have become who she is. Oh yeah, no doubt. Frank was a great man, but I have to think, you know, if if we believe that Catherine Drexel is in heaven, I have to believe that Emma welcomed her in when she got there. I mean, it's kind of, you know, similar to Danny Thomas's story from season one, right? Like his mother's witness falling on her knees, praying for her son to be saved. She wasn't doing that for her other kids to see and be witness to and transform their lives and go out and build shrines to saints and hospitals that serve millions, right? She was doing it because that's what her faith led her to do. I mean, you got to figure Emma was probably the same way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like she was called by her faith to serve those people that walked through her doors. And, you know, she took it to a next the next level by you know, some of the other things that she did and kind of handing out cards and sending people, you know, direct people there. But at the end of the day, she was doing it because she was helping them. And the byproduct of Catherine Drexel being witness to that and then adopting some of those practices and that mindset and that philosophy, I mean, that's the Holy Spirit. That's how he works. Yeah. yeah. And here's a number that blew my mind away. I think that goes along with this. And that is, you know, when Catherine Drexel passed away, there were five hundred sisters of the blessed sacrament. Remember she was in her thirties when she started with, what was it? Five. Uh, five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first trip. 500. Wow. That the, the only thing that can equate to that is a Holy spirit. 
And if they had half of the love of humanity as Catherine Drexel did, they had to have changed the world every single day. Yeah, It's just amazing in my mind. I am curious what happened with the fortune when Catherine Drexel died, because we know the trust was set up. So what happened with her trust? So it went to the kids of her sister, Louise. So as it went, it had to go down to kids. None of the spouses got any of it. So the order, the Blessed Sacrament, Sisters of the Sacrament, they didn't get anything after that. So they had a few years where they made a deal with the estate to continue help. But after that, they were on their own. Mm. But all of the wealth went into the one sister who had children and went down to their children because she had already passed away. So it went to their children. Mm. So I've learned a lot about Catherine Drexel, right? Like I started this admittedly knowing the name, knowing she had something to do with schools. But now I've learned a lot about her and the challenges that she faced and the struggles that she overcame and the passion that she had to pursue this mission. So the last question to ask, of course, is, was Catherine Drexel a holy donor? I don't know if we can have a a better clear-cut definition of what a holy donor is other than Catherine Drexel. She was a freaking holy person, and she was an extremely wealthy person, and she gave it all away. I mean, that's a donor by definition. So my opinion is 100%. Yeah, I mean, going back to her meeting with Pope Leo, right, and putting that in the parallel with Matthew 19, it's harder for a rich man to enter heaven because oftentimes he's afraid or unwilling to give that money away and truly rely on the faith of God. And Yeah. Catherine did that. Yep. Ren, what do you think? It's hard to disagree with that, right? Like somebody who gave up the lap of luxury for massive struggle, right? Living on the frontier. We didn't mention it, I don't think, but when they tried to start building their mother house, they had bomb threats. They had bomb threats and arson threats kind of throughout her life at all their different schools. They were facing political unrest and opposition from the locals wherever they tried to build schools. And that was the life that she chose and took on for the greater good. Mm, Yeah. So I guess that concludes our Catherine Drexel episode. We've got a great one coming up, though. Our season four is coming up with somebody very interesting. And be, listen real carefully to his name. Andrew, who are, we, who are we doing next season? So in season four, The Wildcatter, we tell the story of not just one of the most anonymously generous Catholics in history, but also one of the most unbelievable archaeological initiatives that you may not even realize ever happened. Who is that? Well, you have to tune in. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. George W. Strike Sr. Very good. Can't wait. Can't wait. Excellent. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Holy Donors, brought to you by Petrus Development in cooperation with Red Sea Catholic Radio. Theme music by Tommy Kibb, Third Top Productions. Graphics by 86 Creative. If you like us, Leave us a review, share us with your friends, and check us out at holydonors.com and on Instagram. Holy Donors, bringing you inspiring stories of radical generosity that have changed the world. Where in the world is Thaddeus Romanski? Are we recording? So, nice M&Ms, very good. Pretty amazing. (laughs) Now it's ironic every time I say it. At the end, we should tape a thing for words to use instead of amazing up here. (laughs) I would just go down the list. It's just amazing in my mind. And this story is amazing. And
<laughs> this is just amazing to me. Also raising money for St. Jude, which is amazing. It's kind of amazing to think about it. And it, it, was it was amazing. It was. It cannot be understated how amazing <laughs> that experience was. 